Think about the feeling of a really nice sunny day and you're outside. What's it like? Well, it's bright and it's warm. If either of those elements were missing, it would really kill the experience. The vibe that comes with hanging out in the sun only exists through the union of those two elements. In this episode, we're going to assert that that union is a sort of physical echo, one that begins in the actual essence of God and is expressed in all kinds of forms throughout all tiers of reality. And not only that, but one of its deepest and fullest expressions can come not between things, but between people. It's been called de amore conjugiali, aka the love of marriage, aka the mechanism by which two of us can reflect and express the fundamental connection of the universe, which just happens to lead to the greatest joy that a human being can experience as well. Stay tuned. that Latin pronunciation, right? Didn't, didn't know I could do that. Plus, um, 10, 10 points at least if you notice this. What is that thing? My name is Curtis Childs. You'll see it right there. That's the new logo for the Swedenborg Foundation. That's actually the slimmed down version of it. Go to Swedenborg.com. You'll see the whole thing. So we're pumped about that. If you want your questions and comments to be part of the show, get them in as we progress and we'll try to pull them up at the end and and answer them and have fun. So today we are going to talk about spiritual marriage, the union of people that mirrors the union of everything. So um, it's not going to remain this nebulous uh, sort of woo phrase. We're going to get into the specifics of what we mean by that and hopefully uh, be able to have uh, an interesting tale to tell. In the meantime, we're going to begin by looking at this union I mentioned in the opening in part one. Yeah, even that guy jamming guitar. I don't know if you can see him. There he goes, right, right by the one there. It's all connected. And how so? Well, if you read Swedenborg at all, uh, <laughs> this is the, the only show where I can say that and people understand what I'm talking about. If you read Swedenborg at all, you're going to come across something that is not really called this, but you could call it the grand duality, meaning there are two things that show up everywhere. What, How those things manifest differs. Swedenborg will talk about them in different ways, but rather than me chit-chatting about it, we actually wrote, wrote a song about this phenomenon. We're going to play you just the first few lines of it now. There are two basic elements that everything else came from. You could call one love and let's call the other wisdom. Amor sapientia, if that works better for you. Or substance and form, or the good and the true. Were you singing along? The, the, those words at the bottom are, are for singing. You'll get another chance at the end. We had a couple of the pairings there. We're going to pull up some more here. Love and wisdom, substance and form, good and truth. These are the two. Also, heat and light is another expression of this duality. Swedenborg says charity and faith. The will and the understanding psychologically inside us. The heart and lungs are a physical expression of that. Feelings and thoughts are, again, divided in the same line. You have two eyes, two ears, two feet. In our last episode, we saw these pairings of words in the Bible. And finally... This is also expressed in male and female, which is what we're going to look at today. And it's an important part of Swedenborg's worldview that you got to get to. And to prove it, I'm going to show you a couple of people that came across Swedenborg and were particularly affected by his teachings about 
the spiritual marriage or the heavenly marriage, as it's sometimes called. So this is a lady that we had on two episodes ago. Her name is Marilyn Hughes, and she's the founder of the Out of Body Travel Foundation. Check out her website. Very cool stuff. And we got an interview for another topic, but she happened to tell the story of how she got interested in Swedenborg in the first place. And and she's, she's written a lot of books about out of body experiences, that kind of thing. So it's cool to hear from her perspective what was interesting about Swedenborg. So here's a little intro to that. Well, I had a friend, it was at least, I'd say about 20 years ago, who introduced me to Emanuel Swedenborg because she was aware of the fact that I had mystical experiences myself, and we had talked about them quite a bit, and she said, I have a feeling that you would really resonate with Emanuel Swedenborg, and of course, I immediately did. One of the biggest things was uh, in reading Heaven and Hell, he really describes the way that... um, exactly the same things I had seen, but in so much more detail. So she first came across Heaven and Hell and enjoyed it, as a lot of people do when they're first getting into Swedenborg. But there was another book of his that that she particularly liked, and this is why we wanted to have these clips on. She was reading his book, which is uh, titled De Amore Conjugialis, or Conjugial Love, it's been translated, or Married Love. So here she talks a little bit about what she likes about that book and, and how it's been useful. And I have to say, too, that one of my favorite books besides Heaven and Hell that he wrote was Marital Love, which I think personally, and I recommend it to everybody, um, is probably the only thing out there that I personally have found that really covers the subject of marital love in a way that forces us and demonstrates for us the spiritual reality in marriage and um, his multiple visits and conversations with the spirits in the different realms of heaven provide this panoramic overview of of, uh, the purpose of marriage. And, And, you know, and he eventually talks about those who really embrace the good and the true going into heaven and getting married because, uh, and becoming one angel. And so he really shows the, the idea of the sacrament of marriage and demonstrates all the ways that we can foible it, you know, how we can mess it up without realizing it, especially in a world that we have like today, which is very secularized, where you don't um, really uh, examine that to the degree. And I can tell you, I have recommended Emanuel Swedenborg's Marital Love to a ton of people, and it has saved their marriages. Saving marriages, that's a pretty good trick. So if it's that cool, we might as well look into it today. And we're going to, along with some other passages from other books, because everything that Swedenborg discusses, he'll focus on it in one book, but it's it's always scattered throughout his other stuff as well. Before we get there, I want to give another example of somebody. We, a little while ago, were doing a throwback show, and we asked our audience, you guys, to give us video clips of particular teachings in Swedenborg that impacted you. And one of the first ones we got was from someone named Jordan. And he we actually showed it before. I want to replay it because it's so on topic for this. But he was talking about this is a particular concept that was moving to me, and it is Swedenborg's concept of marriage. And he this is cool because he gets into a little explanation of the different levels at which this marriage occurs. It's not just, we're not just talking about husband and wife. There's a larger picture that it's a part of. So I'll let him intro you to the whole thing. So one of the ways that Swedenborg has influenced me 
is on his teaching about marriage. So I was raised as a pretty typical Calvinist, and so I believed that um, salvation was by faith alone, and that marriage ceases once you get to heaven, so that um, whatever like spouse that you have, they're just they're just moving on, and so are you, and uh, you can go and you can uh, worship God in the clouds or whatever vague situation you have in mind. Um, but you're not a couple anymore. Too bad, right? And if you miss that in this side of life, then you've lost your one chance. And I always thought that was very sad. And, um, and it gave me a sense of desperation about getting married. Because uh, I felt like I had to hurry up and do that in, in this mortal material life. Um, because this was my only chance. And uh, so then one day I ran into Swedenborg's writings and they explained the internal sense of marriage that it wasn't just, um, it wasn't just a metaphor that described Jesus and the church, um, but it was an entire pattern that described uh, life everywhere in the universe, uh, all the way down from the lowest material uh, combinations all the way up to the highest spiritual combination. And the marriage between the Lord and the church is true. It's the highest, it's the highest form of that, but that marriage can exist on many, many other forms as well. And that was really exciting to me um, because a marriage between good and truth and a marriage between faith and charity, that suddenly made sense, that suddenly explained why I love uh, chaste love, why I love charity, um, why I love the idea of a union between um, a man and wife that can last unto all eternity. Like, why are we romantic in the first place? It's because this pattern is pervasive in the whole universe, and that the Lord loves marriage and he wants us to experience that in the fullest sense and that's given me a tremendous amount of hope and it's made a lot more sense as to why we have a reason to want to love without being lustful why we want to love without um, being adulterous why do we want to hold on to a union between um, between two opposites because it's a lot of work. It can be a challenge, um, but that the payoff is um, the spiritual unity. It's peace. It's the Sabbath, and it is glorious, and um, I'm hoping to be able to teach um, young men about this idea in the future to encourage them to uh, be chaste and to love one woman for their whole life because the payoff is incredible. 
It's a great summary. Thanks, Jordan, for putting that out there like that. But let's look into these individual points that he makes. For instance, he says that he grew up thinking that you wouldn't, you would survive death, consciousness survives death, but not marriage. You're no longer married, but Swedenborg says you are. And is that true? We're going to take a look at it now in part two. wade into a genre, if you're going to try to contribute to a specific area, you don't want to just blow off or cross the big names in that genre. You know, if somebody is a, is a big, is a, is a mogul in that area, you don't just want to go counter to what they said without a really good reason. Uh, so if we're going to talk about marriage after death, we really don't want to cross this guy. Maybe you've heard of him. Oh, he's hard to summon. He's such a big name. Uh, <clears throat> let me try it one more time. One, two, three. There he is. Thank you. I know you're very busy. <laughs> so this is Jesus Christ. And he said, doesn't he say the opposite? Doesn't he say that people are no longer getting married after death? If you don't know what I'm talking about, here is his quote from Luke. Some of the Sadducees, who deny that there is a resurrection, asked Jesus, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote that if anyone's brother dies, having a wife, and he dies without children... His brother should take his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers, and one after another they took her as wife, but they died childless. Lastly, the woman died also. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife of them does she become? But Jesus answering said to them, The children of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who shall be held worthy to attain the second age and the resurrection from the dead shall neither marry nor be given in marriage, nor can they die any more, for they are like the angels and are children of God, being children of the resurrection. Moreover, that the dead rise again, even Moses showed in reference to the bush when he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So then he is not God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him." shall neither marry nor be given in marriage. That sounds like no marriage in the afterlife. However, there's a problem with that reading of that, which we discussed in detail in our last episode, which is called What the Bible Is, which you can take a look. One of the primary things that Swedenborg was communicating is Jesus spoke in parables. I mean, everybody knows that. It says, without parables spake he not. Everything he was saying is symbolic language, and that extends not just to the Gospels, where Jesus is, but back through the whole Bible. So, you can't read that literally. That's not the one place where he was speaking literally, and Swedenborg has commentary on that particular verse and what it means in his book, Marital Love, or Marriage Love, or Conjugal Love 41. The Lord's words about there being no weddings after our resurrection refer to spiritual weddings. Stay with me, we'll explain what it all means. There are two things that the Lord is saying here. One is that we do rise again after death. The other is that we are not given in marriage in heaven. He says that we rise again after death by saying that God is God, not of the dead, but of the living, that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are living. He makes the second point that people are not given in marriage in heaven when he says that those who are found worthy of attaining in the, the other world will not have weddings or be given in marriage. The words that immediately follow show quite clearly that 
the only weddings this refers to are spiritual weddings. It says that they can no longer die because they are like angels and children of God when they are children of the resurrection. Spiritual weddings, here's what it all means. Spiritual weddings mean union with the Lord. And this happens on earth. When it does happen on earth, it happens in heaven as well. So they do not have second weddings that are not given in marriage in heaven. This is correspondences. We talk about this in the show a lot. Jesus is not speaking about a physical, literal wedding. You know how Jordan was saying that there's a marriage, there's all these different levels of marriage. There's a marriage, uh, uh, there's a marriage of love and wisdom, these two elements. There's also a marriage of God with the church, or the part which Swedenborg means, the part inside of us that can connect with God. That is that that marriage inside of us is what makes us good people. It's what makes us kind to our fellow human beings. It gives us spiritual life. That marriage is made here on earth. This life is where we have the chance to, to in a real-time setting with other people, decide how do we want to treat people. We can think where we think we can get away with things. How, what kind of person do we want to be? Do we want to marry goodness and truth inside us? Do we want to marry ourselves to divine love and divine wisdom? We decide that here. In the afterlife, you've set your course. That That's what he's getting at here. That's what Jesus is meaning by this spiritual marriage. And so that's one, that's one shade of it, but there's other reasons why he says they're neither married, they, they don't marry and are not given in marriage. The Pharisees who were asking him that, they had this concept of marriage that was very much um, a woman is property, she's given from one person to another. It's not like a mutual romantic commitment between two people. And the weddings in the afterlife, the, the marriage in the afterlife is actually even more along that lines. In Heaven and Hell 382b, Swedenborg says, marriages in the heavens. So now we are talking about two people coupling in heaven. Marriages in the heavens are not the same as marriages on earth. In the heavens, there are spiritual weddings that should not be called weddings, but unions of minds, because of the union of the good and the true. On earth, though, there are weddings because they concern not only the spirit, but the flesh as well. Further, since there are no weddings in the heavens, two spouses there are not called husband and wife. But because of the angelic concept of the union of two minds into one, each spouse is identified by a word that means belonging to each other. This enables us to know what is meant by the Lord's words about marriages in Luke 20, 35, and 36. It's confusing. There's a couple different levels of marriage. There is the marriage of God and the human heart. There's also this marriage of people in the afterlife who join together as couples like we do. But that was so far from the Pharisees' concept of what marriage was. It was such a different phenomenon that you can't even equate the two. So that the kind of marriage they're talking about doesn't happen in the afterlife. There is, but something else we pulled out of that, okay, leaving the Pharisees and their questions behind, something we pulled out of that is there is marriage in the afterlife, according to the recorded Sweden, uh, spiritual experiences of Emanuel Swedenborg. So if that's true, do we, do we get to be married still to the people we are married to here? Do we, are we reunited? And for this, we go to heaven and hell, number 47, repeated. Wait, repeated? What does that mean? In the first edition of Conjugal Love that Swedenborg published, in Latin, of course, so it's called De Amore Conjugiali, it just goes along 45, 46, 47, 48, 47, 48, 49, 50. So there's two of the 47s and the 48s. 
We don't know if Swedenborg had that in his original manuscript because that no longer exists or if that was a problem at the printers. But it does happen here and there in Swedenborg's works that he just skips a number or repeats a number like that. So be persistent between 46 and 49. There's four numbers in there that have all different labels. So a little bit of Swedenborg publishing trivia for those of you who are clamoring for it. Okay, marriage love for, uh, 47 repeated. In most cases, two partners will meet after death, recognize each other, and resume their relationship by living together for a while. This happens in their first state when they are focused on external matters the way they were in the world. Later, though, when they come into the inner state, the relationship between their hearts becomes obvious. If it is harmonious and sympathetic, they continue their married life, while if it is discordant and in conflict, they dis dissolve the relationship. So, I'm sorry because I said that was heaven and hell, it was really marriage love, but the the point is, when you say that marriages continue in heaven, people have one of two reactions, generally. One is, that's great, do I get to be married to the same person? And the other is, oh no, do I have to be married to the same person? So, the answer is what you would think. That there, it's a spiritual world, you're closer to, to openness and really being what, who you are. If there's a real bond, it's preserved. If there's not, it's not. You know, it's, there's not, the, the, the bond on earth does not tie you together if you don't have a real spiritual connection. Uh, and Swedenborg goes on about this further, uh, and this is a little clip from Married Love 216 and 321. When earthly partners love each other tenderly, they think of their covenant in terms of eternity, with no thought whatever that it will end at their death. If that thought does occur to them, they are grieved until they are revived by hope at the thought that it will indeed continue after their decease. These two are not separated by the death of one because the spirit of the departed one dwells continually with the spirit of the one who has not yet died. This continues until the death of the other when they meet again and reunite, loving each other more tenderly than before because they are in a spiritual world. And a question a lot of people will also ask, which is the same one the Pharisees were asking in that quote, what if you had multiple partners? You know, do you, do you stay married to all of them? What, what happens there? Swedenborg says it happens like you'd think. You go, you spend time with each of them to get a feel for what was our connection really like. If there was a real connection there, you stay together. If there wasn't, you drift apart amiably, you know, unless unless you, you didn't get over your issues, then you got to sort it out. But the point is, there's only one you stay with, and there's, there's not going to be two that you have that connection with, because Swedenborg says there's just one soulmate for everybody. There's only one potential, the fullest, deepest connection. So if it wasn't you and that person, you're going to both go off and find people that, that you were really made for. And another question, the third question that people have is, has to do with these animals. Right? Do you get it? Funny? Are you laughing? The birds and the bees. Does that happen? Send the kids out of the room. Married Love 45. Well, uh, it's too, it's too, uh, too intense to show. There we go. Married partners enjoy the same intercourse they did in the world, except that the pleasure and bliss are greater. However, this does not result in reproduction. Instead, there is a spiritual reproduction, a reproduction of love and wisdom. Okay, kids, come back in. So, there, it does happen. 
and it it does it's not just for fun it leads to things you're not going to have children like you do here everybody starts on earth but there is a spiritual this creation of love and wisdom from that joining and that love which may make a strange contrast with because we heard about chastity earlier uh jordan was talking about loving chaste love doesn't chaste love chastity mean the absence of sex not in Swedenborgian terms. To him, if a, rela- a committed relationship that is sexual, as long as it's staying committed, that is chastity. That, that sex within marriage is chaste. That the only things that are not chaste are those that are destroying marriage. So it's important to know if you come across chastity in Swedenborg, it's not like go be a monk and don't have that kind of contact with people, but it is about having order in the way that you do it, which is a good good segue into, you know, can you be celibate in heaven? You can. Swedenborg says it. You, it's it's a it's a possibility, but it doesn't really get you into the center of heaven because this joining together of marriage is is the core of heaven. So that that gets actually gets you farther in. Shunning that life doesn't get you closer to God, and. That drawing together is something that draws you to your partner. In Heaven and Hell 383, he describes that. Throughout heaven, people who are similar gather together, and people who are dissimilar part company. This is a general law in the afterlife, uh, because states of mind exist instead of physical distance. This means that every community consists of like-minded people. Like are drawn toward like, not by their own will, but by the Lord. In the same way, spouse is drawn towards spouse when their minds can be united into one. So at first sight, they love each other most deeply, see each other as married partners, and enter into their marriage. This is why all of heaven's marriages are the work of the Lord alone. Then those happen like that on this planet, but that's how it goes down in the afterlife. It's a general principle that applies to everything. You always are drawn towards what you're compatible with, and there's this deep compatibility, so it brings you together, and you know right away, this is going to be cool. We're going to like this. All right, where, what, so we have this phenomenon, this marriage phenomenon, but why is it there? Why is it a part of heaven? What's the source? Good question. Let's take a look in part three. So there's a marriage in everything. That's what Swedenborg says. We are not some uh, unique phenomena where because we're human and because of the way we are and to maintain the home, we have this structure of joining. There's a, there's a marriage in everything. And you don't got to take my word for it. Take Swedenborg's. This is from Married Love 60. The origin of genuine marriage love is in the marriage of what is good and what is true. All intelligent people recognize that everything in the universe goes back to goodness and truth because this is universally true. We cannot avoid recognizing as well that there is a union of goodness with truth and of truth with goodness in everything in the universe, great and small alike, because this too is everywhere true and is inseparable from the other principle. The reason everything in the universe goes back to goodness and truth and the reason for their mutual union is that both come from the Lord, and they come from the Lord as one. The two things that come from the Lord are love and wisdom, and they come from the Lord because they are the Lord. Furthermore, everything that stems from love is called good, and everything that stems from wisdom is called true, 
since these two come from him as creator, it follows that they are in what he has created. We may illustrate this by comparison with the warmth and light that come from the sun. Everything on earth comes from them. Everything sprouts in response to their presence and their union. Earthly warmth corresponds to spiritual warmth, which is love. And earthly light corresponds to spiritual light, which is wisdom. This duality is in everything, and this marriage is in everything. Meaning, thinking about love and wisdom. These two, and you can kind of get a sense of what those words might mean, but if you're thinking about the two underlying uh, parts of God, it's, it's, we have sort of a, this is what they might be, but it's, it's beyond that. But they're there, and they love each other like married partners do. You think about you know, sort of an ideal married couple and the way that they're devoted to each other, the way they want to be with each other. That's how love and wisdom are. That's how our, our own thoughts and feelings want to be. This is, there's this kind of marriage. Everything is trying to move toward that. God's providence is trying to move everything into that union, that there's that effort and everything, including on a, on a pretty high level, what we talked about before, the marriage of God and the church in us. But we got to define what that is. So let's take a look in, in Married Love 62. This love course, as we're talking about married love between husband and wife, this love corresponds to the marriage of the Lord and the church. That is, just as the Lord loves the church and wants the church to love him, so a husband and wife love each other. This relationship follows from the origin of married love, marriage love in the marriage of goodness and truth. Because the marriage of goodness and truth is the church within us. In other words, the marriage of goodness and truth is the same as the marriage of caring and faith, because good is an attribute of caring and true is an attribute of faith. So he said it there. He said, the marriage of good and truth within us is the church. The church is not a, an external Episcopal organization or a, a series of buildings or, or a collection of money. The, the church is the part of you that is compatible, that can respond to God, that God is trying to form a partnership with us, and the church is the part that can say, I do, in that sense. So that is what, so that marriage is, that marriage is just like the marriage of married partners, that there's, there's the same patterns going throughout all of creation. That's why it's such an important thing. And an essential characteristic of marriage in, on all these levels is there's got to be voluntary. He describes it in Married Love, number 61. He says, there's a union of goodness and truth in everything that has been created, both in general and in particular. So everything, and this shows up everywhere. This union cannot exist unless it is mutual. For any union that is made by one party only and not by the other in return dissolves of its own accord. This is why there is such a thing as free will, why there is the potential to not follow God if you want, because otherwise there could not be this mutuality and we couldn't follow this pattern. So, is this starting to make sense, This the different levels of it? Hopefully you're, set, you're nodding in front of your computer. So if we see that with on these higher levels with, with the divine love and wisdom together, uh, the Lord and the Church in us, it needs to be mutual. In those cases, we should see the same kind of need for mutuality in marriages, in just like regular old between spouses, and you do. And this is, don't take it from me though, we got a psychologist to talk about that a bit. 
First of all, I love the idea of consent for marriage. I mean, in contrast to some places in the world where there are arranged marriages or child brides where the girl very often doesn't have a lot of choice or she's too young to make a really adult choice. And so Swedenborg really talks about how important it is for there to be mutual consent between a man and a woman in a marriage. And I like this idea of how we keep showing up every day, choosing, feeling in freedom, to improve the relationship every day, build on whatever happened in the past, whether it was you know, terrible or wonderful, but that we should still feel that we are in freedom to do that. And knowing that the two parties are, are different from each other and yet they have shared things, like they may have children they're still trying to nurture or they are sharing their finances or they're sharing their household, uh, they are serving the community in some way, and that they are doing this together. It doesn't mean they have to be uh, losing their identity in the process. In fact, psychologists often talk about how important it is for people to feel like they are contributing to a relationship, but also aware of what the other person needs and wants. So consent, and you'll find that across psychology. But while we've got her on the line, let's look a little bit about uh, into how the good and the true principles show up in marriage and, and, and in psychology and, and give you a little bit of application here so that you can use in your own relationships. So for instance, I'm, I'm also thinking about the, this uh, echoing of the marriage and good, uh, good and truth in terms of what psychologists use. Their language is a little different, but there's some harmony to what we're talking about here. Uh, for instance, one of the most uh, well-known ways of doing therapy these days is called cognitive behavior therapy. And that's really a balance of paying attention to our feelings, what are we thinking, what are we doing. Very similar to what Swedenborg says. So when we are in a marriage, I also like to think about what are we thinking, what are we feeling, and what are we doing. And sometimes we have to alter one of those in order to have a healthy feeling. So it's not enough to just say, I'm going to stop feeling angry at my husband. Instead, we need to figure out, how can I understand his point of view? What behaviors can I do that will feed the relationship? Maybe um, uh, the way I... I provide meals for him, or the way I listen to him, or we go do something fun together. Those are all going to feed the relationship at all those three levels, and then also receiving that from him as well. The, the irony is, of course, that our, our physical appearance is usually more beautiful when we're in our 20s and 30s, and that's very often when relationships start. And our bodies get grayer and heavier and wrinkly, and we live in a culture that longs to have that physical beauty. I get that. But what's interesting is that, ironically, as the physical may become less and less uh, beautiful, I, I really admire couples that seem to um, have uh, a mutual appreciation for the inner qualities of the other person. For instance, I love that my husband really has certain moral standards that he really likes to live by. That matters so much more than whether or not he's bald and has fuzzy gray hair on the edges. I love that he is uh, dedicated to being a dutiful, useful member of society in his job and in his volunteer work. He just shows up every day doing that. And I really love that he's faithful to the marriage. And that matters so much more after years and years. With all the distractions out there of materialism and people being unfaithful, it matters so much more. And so I, there's much more for me to love about my husband now than there was even 40 years ago, when we both physically looked a little more like the ideal uh, that Hollywood portrays. So 
moving from external qualities to internal qualities and appreciating them in the other really, really matters. Um, but that's a choice. We can choose to pay attention to those things or we can choose to not. And that, to me, is what makes a really uh, fabulous marriage evolve and get more and more genuine. And I think it's a preparation for the next world. I do believe in marriage after um, we die. And I think it's our inner qualities that really shine in the next world. But we can start to appreciate them here. Recognizing inner qualities, another reason to do that, if you're looking at Swedenborg's description, is those become outer qualities in the next life. Here you think, okay, somebody is loyal or is kind. That's something that you can sort of look past their physical and see. But there, in the spiritual world, things are as they, as things actually appear as they are. So any good qualities you have inside you show up as part of how you look physically, how you smell, how you are. So it's the inner beauty stuff really becomes outer beauty as well there. So if you can make union with somebody on those inner qualities, it becomes just an obvious union between the two of you. All right, so there's that. There's We also want to talk a little bit about we have this union, the same kind of union between us and God and inside of us between our belief system and what we actually do. You know, and, and when those two are in harmony, we actually live by what we would consider to be the highest truths that we know. There's that same kind of marriage then within us. And Swedenborg goes into it more in Married Love 64. These two marriages that I just mentioned, from which the love of marriage issues like a twig, are the very embodiments of holiness. So it's actually those things inside us that lead us to this wanting to join with another person. And so if a love of marriage is accepted from its author, the Lord, holiness from him comes in its train, a holiness that constantly exalts and purifies it. If there is then in our intention a longing and an effort toward that love, it becomes clean and pure daily forever. So it's not like it's automatically you're going to have this perfect love of marriage, but it can build if you're making efforts in that direction. And for what it's worth, the love of marriage, which is both the love of coupling, but also the love of the joining of beliefs and faith, the love of the joining with God, it's the same phenomenon. That is actually the, the parent of all other love, according to Swedenborg. Married Love 65, he says, this love is also basic to all heavenly and spiritual loves, and therefore to all earthly loves. The reason the love of marriage is in its essence the love basic to all the loves of heaven and the church is that its source is the marriage of goodness and truth. Whatever that means, the marriage of goodness and truth, and that can occur within people, it occurs within God. I can't say I fully understand what that marriage is, but because it's happening, that shows up in us. All the loves that constitute heaven and the church for us spring from this marriage. The goodness that comes from this marriage gives substance to our love, and its truth gives substance to our wisdom. When love comes to wisdom, or when it unites itself to it, then the love becomes love. When in turn wisdom comes to love and unites itself with it, then the wisdom becomes wisdom. Moving on, a true love of marriage is nothing more nor less than the union of love and wisdom. Two married partners who share this love within or between them, within or between them, are an image in form of it. All the people in heaven where faces bear the true impressions of their love's feelings are likenesses of it. This is that outer from the inner that I was talking about. Since then, with respect to image and form, two married partners are that love. It follows that every love that springs from that love is an image of it. 
So if the love of marriage is heavenly and spiritual, then the loves that issue from it are heavenly and spiritual as well. The love of marriage is like their parent, therefore, and the other loves are like its children. You follow? Don't worry, we got more, hopefully more explanation to come. It sounds like it's a cool thing, though, even if you are kind of what's he saying here that doesn't make any sense whatever he's hyping it up right and he's saying this thing is really cool and with everything that's really cool a lot of people want to destroy it and we're going to look at that in the next part it might be worth knowing just in case just have this in your back pocket that all of hell wants to destroy marriage. And not just marriage between two people, but uh, marriage of goodness and truth, all joining together. Hell is completely against that. Married Love 71, Swedenborg talks about it a little bit. These qualities of genuine marriage love can exist in us only if we are united to the Lord and have been brought by Him into the company of heaven's angels. This is one thing that can destroy it. We then utterly shun extramarital love loves, unions with anyone but our own husbands and wives, as we would shun wounds to the soul in the swamps of hell. And to the extent that husbands or wives do avoid such liaisons, avoid them to the point of never even intending them, avoid them to the point of never even having the willful cravings that would make someone intend them, the love of marriage within them is purified and gradually becomes spiritual. This happens first while they are living on earth and later in heaven. So gradual. It's not like if you've ever had, if you're married, you've ever had a thought about anyone else, it's over for you. No, you're gradually progressing, but that is the way to go. That that commitment, that mutual commitment is the essence of marriage. So to break that causes problems. Um, And Swedenborg says that, that hell is always trying to get that breaking up to happen. And the, the, your attitude towards marriage actually goes so far as to affect how you smell in the afterlife. This is from his Apocalypse Explained 986. In the heavens, the beauty of the angels is according to the quality of their conjugal love, and in the hells, the hideousness of the spirits is according to the quality of their love of adultery. In a word, with the angels of heaven, according to conjugal love, there is vitality in their faces, their bodily gestures, and in their speech. But with the spirits of hell, according to the love of adultery, there is deadliness in their faces. The delights of conjugal love in the spiritual world are sensibly represented by the fragrance of fruits and flowers of various kinds. But the delights of the love of adultery are there sensibly represented by the foul smells exhaling from dunghills and putrid substances of various kinds. Yeah, we showed a pile of poop in our show. It was for it was for science. It was well, it was for education, man. Uh, that is the kind of correspondential thing that Swedenborg says happens in the afterlife. Things that are harmful appear harmful, smell like they're harmful. And so at this point, we're starting to wade into, I'm doing so much of this, like, this is bad, this is against marriage, that we're getting into the religion's long history of shaming people for their for what they do with their sex life. So just to talk about that a little bit, um, Swedenborg says, adultery and lust are problems. However, you don't with lust, he, there's a complex conversation around that, around urges for people. And it's not like if you've ever had any 
thoughts about people, you're going to go to hell. They're, they're, read the second half of his book, Married Love, for this extended treatise on it. He says that, you know, a lot of times you can't help it, it's really about uh, you, you just try to do your best with what you have. Some desire can actually be a starting point for marriage, it's not that harmful as long as you prefer a committed union to it. Some He even says some people are so overcome just by lust, they can't, they can't help it, that, but that's all right, they can still get around it in various ways and get to heaven. So what I don't want you to do is to be at home saying, oh, this is it's just like Puritan standards for sexual behavior and I don't measure up or this is stupid or something. It's it's more complex than that. It's not about judging yourself, judging your neighbor. We're just looking at the other side, the good side of things. So that's something that I wanted to say. And all that stuff, anything evil in us that hurts things comes out of hell. Swedenborg says, good comes from heaven, evil comes from hell. And they're both kind of vying for market share within us, and hell is always against marriage. Heaven and Hell 384 describes it, I could tell that everyone in hell is opposed to marriage love from the aura that emanated from hell. It was like a ceaseless effort to break up and destroy marriages. This showed that the dominant pleasure in hell is the pleasure of adultery, and that the pleasure of adultery is also the pleasure of destroying the union of the good and the true, the union that makes heaven. So it's not just they want to break up spouses, it's also this, the union of goodness and truth within a person, they want to destroy that as well. The two are, are so interconnected. It follows from this that the pleasure of adultery is a hellish pleasure, diametrically opposed to the pleasure of marriage, which is a heavenly pleasure. And this idea that there, there are attacks on marriage relationships from hell is not just unique to Swedenborg. We actually had another chat with Marilyn from earlier in the show about some of those kinds of attacks she's seen in, in her experiences, so she talks about that a bit. I would say that um, as it relates to marriage, um, especially when you understand what Emanuel Swedenborg has written in Conjugal Love, which is also called Marital Love, is that basically anything and everything is going to become uh, a, a potential attack against marriage. In Emanuel Swedenborg's writings, he focuses a lot on the attacks on marriage as being primarily lust, power, greed, and control. Whatever area that we have individually, an attack can be made on our union. And one of the reasons this is so important is because Emanuel Swedenborg spoke about the marriage of truth and goodness in marital love, conjugal love. And so when we are talking about two partners coming together in, in that union, we need to have uh, a recognition of the fact that each party is going to be a flawed human being and the dark side is going to come after them in whatever their weakness may be. The lust is the biggest one. The power, the greed, control, all those things are uh, things that the, the dark side is going to come after a marriage with. For instance, I'll tell you about uh, a demon that I saw a lot when I was younger was what I called the gull, the gull demon. and. <laughs> This is a demon of destructive sexual energy. And it's a very common manner in which the dark side is gonna come after 
uh, marriage. It's going to do so in a variety of ways. People can have dreams of things that they're uh, where they might be being tempted to destructive sexual energy. Um, there are also people will have actual demonic, um, you know, deceptive demonic attacks. One of the things that Emmanuel Swedenborg is so good at describing is truth versus deception in the spiritual world. And so as you travel into the mystical realms, you're, gonna, uh, you're going to encounter truth versus deception there as well. And so, for instance, someone might have a dream and, uh, and I, someone might have a dream, a lucid dream. They may have an out-of-body experience or a mystical experience, any nature of these, where if they are unconscious in the dream, so to speak, let's say perhaps um, if they have some type of attraction to another person they might work with and they're a married individual, um, a dark force may come to them in that dream and um, show interest in them. And if they're not conscious enough in those experiences that they're having, they won't have the capacity to say, uh, ask them who they really are. Are you here on behalf of Jesus Christ? Because if they do that, it will turn into the gull. And they will, this is what happens with demons in the spiritual world anyway. Once you uncover who they are, they will turn into who they are. Then they will immediately retreat and pull back because once they're uncovered, any dark force, but in this particular instance, any dark force, once they're uncovered, they will pull back because they no longer have the deception, the cover. And the, uh, so you have this in a variety of ways. So this is the gall, but there are also other uh, dark forces who are going to try to tempt people in regards to greed, for instance. If someone is, is struggling with that issue, <clears throat> if they're, they're gonna have crises brought into their marriage through these unconscious attacks. Sometimes people are conscious of them. Sometimes people are not conscious of them. And so the first thing a person wants to do when they arise from a mystical experience of some kind where they, the, the idea has been suggested to them that they should either stray from their marriage or that, gee, my husband or my wife is not contributing enough to this marriage. Think about the power control things. Um, I need more power or control over the other. Emmanuel Swedenborg talked a lot about how it is so important for the equality between the spouses because the power and control just kills marital love. And so when you feel that or experience it, you immediately want to question it. The first thing, uh, you know, because that's exactly what it is. It's a suggestion from the dark side to cause chaos or trouble or instability. Oh, so you had Marilyn there describing these demons, these really intense things, these, these entities attacking marriage. However, I was talking to her, asking her, what do you do to kind of protect yourself? And the, actually, the answer that you get is, is something that's what, like what you'd find in psychology, that even though we're talking about these extremes, that the things we can do to strengthen the thing that they're trying to attack is stuff that, that you, you can just do every day. Here, I'll, I'll show you what she's talking about right here. One of the things that 
I wrote about this extensively and so did Emanuel Swedenborg. Um, one of the things that each one of us, if we seriously wish to proceed and have a successful marriage, is that we have to recognize that a lot of the responsibility for these, um, these interior and internal connections with our spouse, whether we're in, at the point in our life where we're trying to find the right partner, or if you're at the point in my life where I've been married 30 years, you have to constantly be aware that you are responsible for that, that cultivation of your own internal and interior. And as a partnership, you are responsible for helping one another to cultivate that interior. One of the things we see in our world today that is really, really common and causes a lot of divorce is this whole um, idea of, you know, everyone, the personal fulfillment, um, me, <laughs> me, 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 <laughs> you know? But, um, but in marriage, what we are, what our goal is, first of all, is to serve God individually and to serve God together. And by recognizing that right off the bat, we can come from a very different perspective as to how our partner, because obviously if you're married you're, uh, for 30 years, you're gonna know that each one of you has unique uh, traits that are of the good and true and unique areas where we fail and we, we have to overcome our falsehoods. And, Part of our job as spouses is to help one another to overcome that which is false and untrue within each of us so that we can unite, you know, as Emmanuel Swedenborg says in the ideal sense, in the afterlife we become one angel as, you know, a partnership. Well, that can only occur if we recognize, okay, my partner is flawed, I am flawed, and um, my contentment doesn't come from my partner being a perfect human being and vice versa. My contentment comes from my God being perfect. And if we are traveling towards God together, then we are each individually going to be okay with the fact that our partner doesn't always fulfill our wildest dreams every minute of every day. <laughs> We're going to be very content with the fact that our primary goal is what does God want me to do? What does God want us to do? What is our family intended to do for the furtherance of God's kingdom um, and we move away from that selfish interest. If our lives and our marriages are revolving around what is God's will? What does God want? Everything changes. And you have it that you've got this talk about God and about becoming one angel, but the advice that that leads to is don't have unrealistic expectations, know that your partner is flawed and that's okay. These are the kinds of things that, that are very, very down to earth, and that's one of the reasons that I like Swedenborg's stuff. 
is that you have this, he's talking about spirits and angels and your, all this metaphysics, but the advice he ends up giving is very practical and down to earth, and you can just do it in your regular life, just like what Marilyn was saying there. And f- for an example of this, let's look at the four horsemen. Do you guys know those? Not in Revelation, but the four horsemen of the apocalypse as it concerns relationships. You know, the Gottman Institute. Gottman was the guy who made these up. You may have heard of them. Criticism, contempt, defensiveness, stonewalling. These are the behaviors within a relationship. If we're doing these, there's a problem. And Swedenborg actually sees people in hell exhibiting these very same uh, techniques. So here, let's pull up a couple of numbers here. This is in his Journal of Spiritual Experiences, 1950. Certain spirits who were with, with me, who during their bodily life had dwelt much, and mostly not on the meaning of words, but just on the words, thus who had been devoted to the art of criticism. So there you have criticism. And next, this next one deals with both criticism and defensiveness. Those who are only earthly can see good and evil qualities in others and criticize them, but because they have never looked at or studied themselves, they see no evil in themselves. If someone else discovers an evil in them, they use their rational faculty to hide it, as a snake hides its head in the dust. And finally, this one has to do with, it doesn't mention contempt, but contempt has has within it this desire to control. And this is Heaven and Hell 380. When one part partner wants or loves what the other does, then there is a freedom for both, because all freedom stems from love. However, there is freedom for neither one when there is control. One is a servant, and so is the one in control, because he or she is being driven like a servant by a need to be in control. As control comes in the door, minds are not united, but severed. And that any dominance in marriage, any of one partner trying to exert their will on the other, kills the potential for this spiritual marital love that Swedenborg talks about. So not if you that if you have any of those four horsemen in your relationship that you are like you're from hell or something, but the point is hell, the source of all evil, is always trying to push that way of thinking on you because that will get rid of your marriage. But on the flip side, the stronger this union of the good and true or this marriage love is in you, it actually creates protection from hell. And this is Apocalypse Explained 999. From love truly conjugal, so that's that's uh, the, the Latin word he used, conjugal, there is power and protection against the hells because against the evils and falsities which ascend from the hells. The reason is that by a conjugal love, man has conjunction with the Lord, and the Lord alone can prevail over all the hells. So again, this is like you're connecting with God through this same love because there's the same connection between you and God. Also because by conjugal love, man possesses heaven and the church. Wherefore, as the Lord continually protects heaven and the church from the evils and falsities that rise up from the hells, so he protects all those who are in love truly conjugal, because heaven and the church are with these only. For heaven and the church are, are the marriage of good and truth, from which is conjugal love. So the marriage of good and truth inside a person leads to this external marital love, as said above. Hence it is that man by conjugal love has peace, which is inmost joy of heart, arising from security of every kind against the hells, and from protection against the infestations of evil and falsity therefrom. And further, from Marital Love 71, or Marriage Love 71, the reason we can experience a spiritual marriage love only if we've received this nature from the Lord is that heaven is within us. We're dropping into the middle of something. 
Earthly people whose only source for the pleasure of this love is the flesh cannot approach heaven. They cannot approach any angel, for that matter, or anyone in whom that love dwells. That is, this love is basic to all heavenly and spiritual loves. I have been shown the truth of this by experience. I have seen evil spirits in the spiritual world, people who are being readied for hell, coming toward an angel who was enjoying the company of his spouse. While these spirits were still at some distance, but coming closer, they became like furies and tried to protect themselves by throwing themselves in the caves and ditches. So because there is within this this uh, committed bond between two people, there's love, there's trust, there's mutual friendship, there's innocence, there's everything that hell hates. So the, the two opposites repel, and so you get this power and protection. Okay, so it sounds like a cool thing. How do we get it? We're going to answer that in the next section. Okay, that's a little bold to say that we're going to answer how to get it. That's what we, this is just instructions, page one, because this is just how you, we can start to move in the direction of this thing. And the first question you might have is, to get at this thing that has all these benefits and good things, do I need to be married? And the answer is no. There's a gentleman who was not married, and he looked like this. This is Emanuel Swedenborg, or a painting of him. He was writing all this. He was obviously in this wisdom about it, but he wasn't. He never married in the world. There are some letters he wrote that seem to indicate there was somebody he thought would maybe be his partner in the next life, but he wasn't married, and he wasn't worried about it, because there is this marriage of the good and truth inside yourself that you can be working on, and it's a process. Um, and it doesn't. You don't also don't have to be perfect at it as we're going. Even the angels aren't perfect in their relationships. Married Love 71, he talks about it. No love can become pure in us or in angels, so this love cannot become pure either. However, since the Lord looks primarily at the direction of our intentions to the extent that we are engaged in this effort and stay with it, we are led into its purity and holiness and continue to improve. So right from the outset, there, you don't have to be married to be working on this marriage of goodness and truth, and you don't have to feel like, okay, I need to get this purity, I need to be perfect in order for this thing to start. God just sees the intention. Are you trying? Which direction are you trying in? He can fill things in from there, and it can be a step-by-step process. That really, the way to work on getting marital love is the steps of regeneration, as Swedenborg describes them, uh, and we have a little graphic of them Recognize harmful thoughts, feelings, and actions. Resist harmful thoughts, feelings, and actions. Turn to God for help. Make efforts to act with kindness and integrity. You can download this book here from Swedenborg.com for free. Those steps have nothing to do with marriage. I mean, that, that's about how you treat everybody. That's about bringing good things, taking them in, making them a part of life, resisting bad things. That's actually the quickest way. That's the only genuine way to it. You don't have to be even living with your soulmate. As Swedenborg describes it, you know, as we, there's like a triangle, you know, as we work on ourselves and get pulled closer to God, that is drawing us closer to our soulmate, whoever that may be, whether we meet them in this life or in the next life, just that working on it pulls you toward the center, and God is pulling the strings there. So anybody can be accessing this at any time. And something interesting, though, when we are talking about, so say you are married and you're trying to work on that, Swedenborg says that that romance, what we consider romance, those feelings, they are a way to kick off marriage, but they don't compose the core of it. And this is something you find in psychology, too. This is from his Married Love 162. 
The union, this is, this is talking about between spouses, the union is affected gradually, beginning with the first days of the marriage. For couples who are committed to a true love of marriage, it becomes deeper and deeper to eternity. The first warmth of a marriage does not bring about union. In fact, it depends on love for the opposite sex in general, which is primarily physical and secondarily spiritual. And whatever arises in the spirit because of the body does not last very long. So you get married, you're all twitterpated, then it fades out. A love that arises in the body because of the spirit does endure, though. This love of the spirit that arises in the body because of the spirit permeates the souls and minds of a couple, bringing with it friendship and trust. That's interesting. That's the core, friendship and trust, uh, rather than, than romantic inclinations. When these two unite with the marriage's initial love, a love of marriage comes into being that opens their chests and breathes into them the sweetness of love. This enters deeper and deeper as the friendship and trust join forces with that early love, and it enters into them, and they into it. So you've got this, oh, at the beginning, but unless it gets joined up to friendship and trust, it can't move. We often go into relationships initially thinking, Marilyn was saying, you don't want to expect your partner to be everything to you. We often ask the wrong questions of our partners, which is why we're going to show you a clip of this little video we made called The Wrong Question to Ask. And well, yeah, in a relationship you can work on compromising and trying to meet each other's needs, but the problem is that here, on a certain level, both parties are operating through the belief that love equals somebody giving me what I want or matching up with my romantic expectations. And no matter how much that's placated and catered to by the other partner, it's never going to turn into a real, sustainable, not self-centered desire to be a good partner for someone, aka love. And you learn that, you know, you learn that as you go. So before we end this section, to mix that all together, the point is you are working on yourself, your own spiritual growth, your own personal growth. If you're doing that with someone, that's great. If you're doing that not with them, that's okay. You still can be moving towards that. But probably one thing we haven't addressed yet that you would be wondering about is this, gay marriage. Is this so far, we've only been talking about male-female, so what is the situation there? And essentially, what we're going to do in this show is just cop out of that whole thing. Well, and this is why. We are, that, that particular conversation requires like an in-depth, it's not just black and white. Swedenborg says, you can or you can't progress in marriage with somebody of the same sex. There, there's more to talk about. However, I do want to get into how you would approach that conversation, because this is how Swedenborg ends his book, Married Love. So you, he puts at the end to kind of sum everything up this, which I think is pertinent to this question here, because I know there's charged feelings on all sides about that. This, this is Swedenborg ending the book. This is how we are held accountable for our love of marriage. There are marriages in which there seems to be no love of marriage, even though there is. And there are marriages in which there seems to be a love of marriage, even though there is not. There are many reasons in each case. Outward appearances, however, do not warrant conclusions about ultimate accountability. The only basis for such conclusions is the basic attitude towards marriage that is deeply embedded in everyone's volition and that is being preserved in every possible state of marriage we may experience. As a result, this love can exist in one partner and not at the same time in the other. It can lie too deeply hidden for even the individual to have any awareness of it, and it can be instilled into us in the course 
of our lives. This is because our love progresses step by step with our religion. And since religion is the marriage of the Lord and the church, it is the first step in the budding of that love. So after death, we are credited with a love of marriage in proportion to our spiritual rational life, and marriages are provided in heaven for people who are credited with this love after their decease. In every case, reflecting the quality of their marriages in this world. All right. We've got that. Now, on the basis of all this, we come to the following conclusion. In no case should we draw the conclusion that someone has or does not have a love of marriage on the basis of the outward appearance of marriage or of the outward appearance of extramarital sexual activity. So do not judge, or you yourself shall be condemned. Essentially, you, ha- you cannot look at somebody and know whether or not they have this deeper love of marriage that leads to this thing we're talking about. So if you are looking at people and you say, they're doing marriage in a way that I don't think is right, you don't know. They could be farther along than you are. And if you're somebody who says, oh yeah, I'm gay, I, I don't love the opposite sex, am I not going to participate in that? It's not necess- You're building the love of marriage inside you. So that's just what I want to say. I think we could have a much larger conversation about that. I keep saying we'll do an episode on it, but I really do. There's some very fascinating points in Swedenborg that I think would make an interesting part of that. The point is what he ends with, judge not, lest ye be judged. You never know, and we, we don't even know in ourselves what our state is of love of marriage. We don't even know, are we progressing? Do we have it or not? So the good thing to do is like chill out and assume the best about people, all right? We've got that, so let's end it on a high note here. Let's talk about the gathering of all joy. Here we want to look at the full unfolding of love. Swedenborg says one of the reasons why marital love is the deepest, most joy-filled love is because It's where love gets to do what love really wants to do. The impulse of love is to give everything you have to someone and be united with them. And we can do that to a certain extent with all the people that we know in various ways, but with this particular partnership, you get to do it all the way. You get to share your whole life with someone, give them everything you can in in the, the ideal sense of it. So Swedenborg says that because of that, love really finds its fullest output here. In Conjugal Love or Marital Love 69, he says, I realize that not many people are going to recognize that all joys and delights from the first to the last are gathered into the love of marriage, since the love of marriage into which they are gathered is so rare nowadays that people do not know what it is. That's worth noting that in Swedenborg's day, could be still now that there's plenty of people who had marriages, but the love of marriage, this specific phenomenon, rarely exists in our world. This is more an afterlife thing because there's so much that gets in the way here. These benefits are not gathered into any love but the love of marriage. And since this is so rare on earth, the only way to describe the supreme excellence of its happiness is out of the mouths of angels, because they are the ones who experience it. So, you want to hear what the angels say about it? This is what he wrote next. They have told me that its deepest delights are delights of the soul, where the marital inclination of love and wisdom, or of goodness and truth, first flows in from the Lord. At that point they are imperceptible, and therefore indescribable, because they involve both peace and innocence. However, as they descend, they become more and more perceptible. 
On the higher levels of the mind, they are experienced as bliss, lower down in the mind as happiness, and in the emotional center as consequent pleasures. And as they spread out from the emotional center into each and every corner of the body, they finally come to focus as the supreme, the ultimate delight. Beyond this, angels have told me remarkable things about delights, even telling me that their varieties in the souls of married partners, the delights that descend from there into their minds and from there into their emotional centers, are both infinite and eternal. Infinite and eternal. But that comes up a lot. That this not only lasting forever, but growing better and better forever. In Married Love 180, Swedenborg talks about this states what it's like to have this love. Again, you may be married and you're not feeling something like this. This is this is the potential in it. Swedenborg says this is rare on earth, but something we can work toward. The states of this love are innocence, peace, serenity, a most profound friendship, absolute trust, and the mutual desire and soul and heart to do everything good for each other. All these states of love give rise to bliss, happiness, gladness, and pleasure, and from the enjoyment of these forever comes heavenly happiness. The reason all these states occur in and therefore as a result of marriage love is that their source is the marriage of what is good and what is true, and this marriage comes from the Lord. It is the nature of love to want to share with another whom it loves with all its heart, actually to make a gift of its joys, and in this way to receive its own joy from the other. It is infinitely more true, then, of the divine love that is in the Lord toward us, whom the Lord has created to receive the love and wisdom that radiate from Him. Since we are created for their reception, the Lord has made the love of marriage stream from our very core, a love into which He can bestow everything that is blessed, joyous, pleasant, and gratifying. These are things that come together with our life only from divine love through His divine wisdom and flow into us. They flow, therefore, into people who are committed to a true love of marriage, since only they are receptive." So, pretty pretty intense stuff, and I want to pull out a particular sentence from that. The states of this love are innocence, peace, serenity, and a most profound friendship, absolute trust, and the mutual desire in soul and heart to do everything good for each other. And that, so why are we doing this show? Why are we telling, not just this episode, but this whole show, why are we telling you all these things Swedenborg says? The hope, I mean, the idea behind it is that in these concepts, there is potency to affect life change, that these ideas can make life better. And I want to play a video. This is of a couple who tells the story of when that that phrase there, do each other every good, that was just up there, that made a big difference in their actual marriage. And so I'll let them tell the story. I want to sort of go back to where we were in life, because I was probably 28 or something, and you were... 30 yeah. something but you know early on we had two little kids one that had just turned two another one that was about 10 months old and we were on vacation but to think about what our life was like before going on vacation with those two little kids I was home with them but we had no second car so I was home with them stuck so when we went on vacation I was feeling like I deserve a vacation and you just became the head of IT at a company and was learning the ropes. And it was just after I'd written an estimating system for, and 
the guys thought I was going to be taking their job, and one of them almost ran me over. And yeah. it was, it was. Uh, That's Detroit for you. And working a lot of hours, learning, learning, learning my new role, and I thought I deserved a vacation. Yeah. <laughs> so we got a free vacation from from David's parents, and it was a family vacation to a family cottage, and we thought that was gonna be awesome. And then we get there, we don't realize what's going on, but we're starting to get really agitated with each other. Cute Just little like, cottage, <laughs> we're in one room, four of us sleeping, and we're there. I'm feeling like we were there two or three nights, be, and and yeah. think and we our our vacation was disappearing because I thought I deserved to just lay on the beach, relax while you played with those kids that I was with, 24/7. Yeah, and I loved them a ton and wanted to play with them, and it stretched it, you know, because I wanted my breaks too. And, yeah. And uh, I don't, you know, anyway, we're starting. It was starting to go downhill fast, yeah, and um, just because this was not a vacation, we were making it. I love ourselves. We're fully engaged. Yeah. You know, wanting my time. Yeah. You know, and I wanted my time. So we gathered the family and we went into that little room and you know at each other about how we weren't getting a vacation. And it was you that said, "Wait a minute. Remember what everybody wrote in our cards when we got married? You know, from from this church that we grew up in. Um, there was a quote that ended in do each other every good.' And I remember you looked at me and said, Jenny, what if we actually did each other every good on this vacation? Like, what if I worked really hard to make sure you got a really good vacation and you worked really hard to make sure I got a really good vacation? I, I think I was a little bit like this for a little bit. And I was yeah. like, oh, it might just work. <sighs> and I kind of felt so, like it kind of took the evil breath out of the room. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I mean, in my, at least inside me for a minute, mm -hmm. you know, and I was willing to try that. Yeah. And I, my memory of it, now it's 37 years later, 35 years later, is that it, it just switched things immediately. And we, um, we took that, we had a great vacation, and it became our number one motto for our 37 years of marriage is do each other every good. And the second one is take 100% responsibility. And that's always what we've come back to and has been like our guiding force yeah. all these years. And I so. feel the same way on, on that, the rest of that vacation. You know, you check back to, once in a while, is this really, is, am, I, am I as happy as I feel right now? Mm -hmm. And yeah, I am. And it was yeah. awesome. I want that is what we're trying to do for you at home. We're not trying to provide you with a bunch of confusing information or telling you where you're doing life wrong or set you up with a disturbing world. We're trying to give you packets of information that can have the kind of impact that that had for them. That was a particular idea that was from Swedenborg that, that has helped them, not just on that vacation, but like throughout their entire marriage. So and you know, not just with marriage, but with all of life, we're trying to give you little bits of help. So that's why we do what we do. Thank you for watching. Now, there was there there is a joining together of people through this love that Swedenborg says in the next life goes so far as to even begin to bring about a resemblance of the other one in in the face of angels. So this is this is from Married Love 75, uh, where Swedenborg describes that a bit. Since I had the desire in mind of understanding the marriages of the ancients, I looked back and forth between the husband and the wife, and I noticed a kind of oneness of their souls in their faces. I said, you two are one. 
The man answered, We are one. Her life is in me and mine in her. We are two bodies, but one soul. The oneness between us is like the oneness of the two tents in the human chest called the heart and the lungs. She is my heart, and I am her lungs. But since heart here means love, and lungs mean wisdom, she is the love of my wisdom, and I am the wisdom of her love. This means that her love clothes my wisdom from the outside, and that my wisdom dwells within her love. So as you said, there is an image of the oneness of our souls in our faces. Heaven is made up of union, and that's what makes up heaven. Between spouses, but also just between everyone, that it's a bringing together, it's like a marriage, or even like the human body, the heart and the lungs, you know, those, there's a union there, and the way that they're exchanging carbon dioxide, oxygen, that the need for each other, the support of each other. Divine Providence 9, Swedenborg talks about this a bit. First, there was a marriage of goodness, he's listing a few points. First, there was a marriage of goodness and truth in the universe and in absolutely everything in it that the Lord created. Second, this marriage was broken up in us after creation. So, long story short, uh, we turned away from being nice to each other, so that breaks up this heavenly marriage inside. Third, it is a goal of divine providence that what has been broken apart should become a whole, and therefore that the marriage of goodness and truth should be restored. Then, too, everyone can see on the basis of reason that if there was a marriage of goodness and truth in everything that was created, and this marriage was later broken up, the Lord would be constantly working for its restoration. This means that its restoration, and therefore the union of the created universe with the Lord by means of us, must be a goal of divine providence, divine providence being the governance of everything by God. So now we've come full circle to where our song that we played in the beginning, the whole thing is going to make sense. This is about how the point of it all really is about getting things back together. There are two basic elements that everything else came from. You could call one love and let's call the other wisdom. Amor sapientia, if that works better for you. Or substance and form, or the good and the true. They initially emanate together, creating the shape of peace in the human mind. But if we block them out, we become hostile to our own kind. We all know what that leads to. We've all seen what that leads to. Great forces push out, but we each receive them differently. See, there's potential for conjunction, not that we have them incompletely. But where these two are two, they would rather be one. And when they do, we get to start the whole thing over when it's done. Everything, everything's about getting things back together. Everything, everything's about getting things back together. There are two basic units of consciousness that exist or can never be There is the infinite, divine, and finite stuff like you and me We do not do well when we're cut off from the source And the source would love to reconnect, but the source can't use force Some people would love to connect too, but love can't do it by itself Let's take that stuff I said in verse 1 back off the shelf Wisdom is knowing how and doing and with both your own reflection You become a conduit for the source, which is the source of that connection you get it? Everything, everything's about getting things back together. Everything, everything's about getting things back together.
jam at the end. We had to include that, even though it was a subscribe thing, because that sounds so good at the end with the harmony. A little bit of trivia. One of the people doing the harmony there is none other than Matt, who does our graphics. Uh, and the other one was my wife. Love you, honey. Okay, we're getting to our questions now. See ya. So this episode is already really long. <laughs> Let's do questions. I heard there's a lot of them. Let's get to them. We got a snowstorm coming in. Who cares? Mary, my husband passed on with brain cancer two years ago. Will he be changed because of this cancer or will he be the same as I always knew him when we finally meet again? I appreciate you being willing to share about that. That's a tough loss. And according to Swedenborg, he'll be the same. When you say... Will he be the same? The, the essence of the person that made him him, that's the spirit. The physical can break down, but that doesn't change the spirit. So the person that he was, you know, he'll still be him. I think we all progress in the afterlife, so he'll be even better and better. But when people have near-death experiences, that kind of thing, they see the people that they love, and it always seems like they were them, but they seemed even healthier and, and happier than they ever were before. So that's what I'd say about that one, Mary. Okay, next one. Isa, does God or do angels ever intervene or steer romantic relations? God steers everything. As far as like particularly setting people up, it's complex. I mean, it doesn't, because, you know, you think Swedenborg, God would be all about, oh, get, get him together with his soulmate so that they can, but Swedenborg, he needed to go and write and do stuff. So, it's the, the, the forces behind our lives are, are way too complex to ever pin specifically, like, God wants me to be with this person, God doesn't want me to be with that person. We don't know those kinds of things, I, but, you know, God and the angels, you know, the angels, God through the angels are always steering our lives. We don't always know why. So, the, that's... That's my thought on that, um, because it can, you know, it, uh, often when people think, oh, I'm destined to be with this person, it, it's like there's a sort of bad energy around it. You know, you see like people who are stalkers, that kind of thing, think, oh, I have to. So it's sort of like the freedom of the whole thing. You know, you, nobody's compelled. So those are a few scattered thoughts about that. Thanks very much. Okay, next one. Frank, what would Swedenborg say about can there be true love without forgiveness? There has to be in trust. I mean, he said that um, that trust is one of the most important things, and without forgiveness, without there is not the, the opportunity for trust. So, in most friendship, could you really have that if you couldn't forgive someone for what they did? So, I would think forgiveness is a big part of it. So, thanks. Let's take a look at the next one. Karen, so if people are living together for years, is this considered a deadly sin? Um, no. I don't think so. Uh, there, Swedenborg talks a lot about there are levels of interaction that aren't within marriage, but if they're leading toward it, they can be good. We don't know for those particular people, uh, is that strengthening their love of marriage or not? 
I mean, you definitely, the things that are most harmful to marriage, as Swedenborg describes, have to do with um, intense promiscuity. He describes them, read the second half of Conjugal Love, it's intense. Uh, A lot of promiscuity or or like uh, rape, things, desire for control, those are the things that really kill it. Um, You know, you never know if this is leading those people to a a good relationship or fostering it. We can't tell. So deadly sin, no. I am going to say no. That's my opinion. Okay, next one. Antoinette, what does Swedenborg say about, in the afterlife, do we remember who we were married to on earth? Yes, you can remember everything on earth. You're not constantly bogged down by those memories. It could well be that you're married in the next life to that same person, as we said before. So you do, but but if if there's somebody you're married to and you you guys stop being married because there's a better path for both of you, you don't you don't like forget them, but you're not always thinking about them. You know what I mean? Like the, the memories of earth don't always bog us down. They can come up when they need to, and you, I'm sure you could get together and reminisce if you wanted, but it's not always there for you. So there's that. Next one. Michael, if someone never married on earth, is it because they just missed their soulmate? Um, there's, I don't think so. I think there's more reasons. Um, the, the, the strings that are pulled in our lives, there's more complexity. You can't say, like, there's an opportunity, and you didn't grab it, so now you don't have your soul. You, you don't know what you need to go through in your life in order to become, to have the love, uh, the the marriage of goodness and truth inside you. You don't know what that, you don't know what, if, if, your, if your soulmate is around, you don't know what they need to go through, you don't know, because even Swedenborg, right? And he was so clairvoyant, but yet didn't get to have that happen. So there's, it's not because he missed some opportunity, it's just that there's a bigger picture, everybody has what they need, we have our trajectory of life, we don't know exactly why, but I wouldn't say you you missed it, like you should have snapped it up, God is moving you where you need to go to have the best outcome for the, the marriage inside all of us, which leads to that marriage. I hope that makes sense. Okay, next. What if your soulmate got killed by a car? Is there a backup soulmate? Uh, I, you know, I would say no. Um, for the same sort of thing as before, the, the, the strings point, if, if, if there was somebody that you're compatible with, they died and you didn't get to meet them or, or whatever, um, there's reasons for that. But there's not, there are not multiple soulmates as I understand it. That Swedenborg says, we saw in that one slideshow, if two are separated by death, the soul of one dwells with the other until they can be reunited. That there's plenty of people who have lost their partner who still feel like they're present with them. So it doesn't, because life on earth is so short, something like a, a compatibility like that that could last forever is worth waiting for. So no, you, you, you're still their person, they're still your person. So that's my thought. Okay, let's do another one. Megan, after death, would you meet a past love that was not your married partner? Oh, good question. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, it's, you know, you could have somebody who you had a really long relationship with, but you never got married. I don't think that technicality would matter. You would go be with the people you had been with to see what kind of union you had. He mentioned, he says, people you'd been married to, but yeah, I don't see why it wouldn't be also somebody who you spent a lot of time with, because, it's yeah, it's not about earthly technicalities, it's what matters, you know, what makes sense. So it's a great question, and I think, yeah, somebody who you had a deep relationship with, or a long one, you would go through the same kind of test with. Okay, we'll do two more, so everyone can get some sleep tonight. Stephen H., are spirits in hell married, Bonnie and Clyde? The hellish marriage, there, there are partnerships. Hell, as Swedenborg says, is 
all about breaking up marriage. There, but however, you can have two people together. Swedenborg says the heavenly marriage is mutual love, trust, friendship. A dominant marriage where one person is controlling another, that's, that's a hellish marriage. That, that You can have partnerships like that in hell. You can have people who, who have sort of... But, but generally, monogamous pairings are more rare in hell, because everybody would rather be promiscuous. Um, so there is... The Swedenborg does talk about some, some hellish partnerships. I don't know if he calls them marriages or not, but, um, but generally there's not... It's, it would only be an external bond. You know, they're not like... They're in the, their, their love and wisdom. The things inside them are not going together. There's just kind of this, this upkeeping of appearances when really there's mutual hatred, because everybody in hell hates everybody else, because this mindset that is hell is hatred. It's not like you're a good person, but you got thrown into hell. You go there if you love hating people. I mean, that, that's, the, that's the, the wristband that gets you in. So there wouldn't be a bond like that. Hopefully that makes sense. We're going to do one more tonight. M. Christina, how does one work on the relationship with a spouse who has passed over? Through prayer and meditation? That's a great question. Um, there's, I think it's widowwidowers.com is a, is a good resource that lets people know uh, how you can work on that. You would be prayer and meditation, but also working on the heavenly marriage within yourself, you know, trying to become a better and better person. What would be a better partner? Just working on impatience, working on self-centeredness, all the things that if your partner was alive, you'd be working on because that's the work you do. And then when you guys join back up, um, there is, you've already got that done, you can enter into more and more happy union, and it's cool, and it's fun, and sounds like everybody can experience it that wants to, and hopefully we all enjoy it. So thanks, everybody, for sticking around for 16 hours for this show. Appreciate it. Next week, we're going to be looking at the mind, body, spirit, and our spiritual senses, and how that all works, so hopefully you'll come back and see us then. Bye. Thank you.